There, uh, there is a number of psalms within the, the book of psalms that cluster around the worship and a call to worship and a call to give adoration and exaltation to God uh, in our sanctuary when we draw together. And we're going to read from one of those in just a second, but I wanted to mention this from last week's where the text tells us we are to see to it to assemble together, to assemble together for worship. And the reason that we do that is that when we cross the threshold of that door and come into this place, this place has been replaced, has replaced the temple sanctuary. It no longer exists. And the sanctuary of worship has become our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ in the body and blood that he has given to redeem a people for the will of his Father. It is most assuredly where we, the profane, meet the holy. And it is here in the New Testament text and in the structure of the church we're called to be. We're called to be because God is jealous of his son. And he has given us the treasure of all eternity. Here on earth and the fulfillment of that when he returns. And this is where he calls us to show grateful hearts. This is where he calls us to be. This is where he desires us to be because these psalms, this cluster of psalms here, they speak of words of shouting, of singing, of the hills and the seas and the trees shouting for joy in the presence of God. That's where we need to be. And this is where he calls us to do it. And I want you with that thread to keep John MacArthur in prayer out on the west coast of California where they have and are and still in a battle to keep him from having church in his church, in his congregation. We don't have that problem here now. But whether we do or not, this is still where we are called to be. And with that said, for those of you able and capable, please stand for the reading of Psalm 98. Psalm 98. This is a psalm of worship and praise for our God's righteousness. O oh, sing to the Lord a new song, for he has done wonderful things. His right hand and his holy arm have gained the victory. The Lord has made known his salvation. He has revealed his righteousness in the sight of nations. He has remembered his loving kindness and his faithfulness to the house of Israel and to all the ends of the earth have seen his salvation that is from our God. Shout joyfully to the Lord all the earth. Break forth and sing for joy and sing praises. Sing praises to the Lord with lyre. Sing with the lyre and make sounds of melodies and blow the trumpet and the horn and shout joyfully before the King, the Lord. 
and let the sea row, roar and all it contains, the world and those who dwell in it. And let the rivers clap their hands and let the mountains sing together for joy before the Lord. For he is coming to judge the earth and he will judge the world with righteousness and all the people with his uprightness. Please be seated. Let me pray for us, please. Father in heaven, as we come to you this morning, let our hearts and our mind be set upon the Holy One, the Precious One, and Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Him alone there is salvation and no one else in Him alone. And we thank you for this morning to be here in His presence and drawing on the remembrance of the cross and asking the Holy Spirit to cause our hearts to know and understand and comprehend your great love for him given to us. And we pray these things in his name. Amen. You know, when we look around ourselves, our world and ourselves and everything that's going on now, and I think we alluded to this last week that we can be and it's sometimes overwhelmed with the fullness of it. And yet at the same time when reading to you about John Newton from 242 years ago, he felt the same about England and the nations about him at that time, that the church was in a deplorable state and the people were in a deplorable state. And we as Christians shouldn't be surprised at that because of the understanding of what sin has done to creation and to ourselves individually and collectively. And then you go back to the period of time of Martin Luther and John Calvin, the man God used to change the church for all of the maladies that were going on within it, all of the sin that encompassed it and all of the false teaching and he used men at that time to change it. But I'm sure they saw and understood and at some times were just appalled at those things that were happening. And we go back to Augustine's period in the fourth and fifth century. And he himself was caught up in the sins of life and all of the debauchery that existed there within the church and without. And so every generation, every century is no different. The reality of that comes here and comes home to us when we listen to the radio, to the, see the news, and when we go by the way and when we work. It's not a matter that this period of time is any more complex or sinful than any other period of time. Sin is sin is sin, and it's still cosmic treason before a holy God. And mankind is a sinner. So I hear from time to time, and I think, about this great space race that we're probably going to be in. 
headed to Mars, Jupiter, or wherever else. I'm still mad at all those scientists because they took Pluto out as a planet, and I thought that was the neatest name for a planet. But nonetheless, we go to all realms outside of anything but the truth of this word, seeking God in all the wrong places, or to find or try to demise and understand and concern of the answer to the question of the origin of life. And I always have a great laugh when I consider man's race, wherever it may be, however it may be, to find out something that is so very close and able to know. It comes from C.S. Lewis's book on mere Christianity. And in his time, 150 years ago, he made this statement that speaks well to every time every century, every generation. He said, God forbid that mankind would escape planet Earth and spread his iniquity elsewhere. That speaks so well. If we find Jupiter or Mars, they're lost. They're Wherever you go, man's iniquity will follow him. But also, we find within the scripture the reality of that. But we also find the reality of God's solution to that from eternity past. And I want you to turn to Revelation chapter 1, the first chapter in the book of Revelation. Chapter 1. And what we're going to look at is when we're speaking of space and planets and generations back and generations still yet to come before the return of Jesus Christ, we're talking about time. We're talking about a beginning in time and we're talking about an end in time. But what's so very interesting is when you read the scripture, scriptures, you see that Christ, excuse me, that God in the holy scriptures of the Old Testament said that in Isaiah 46, that he declared the end from the beginning. That he declared the end from the beginning. It almost seems cryptic in its language, but nonetheless understandable that when we look at the gospel, and we look at the whole Old Testament, New Testament, the 66 books, and we put these all together, we see a definitive God in a definitive word that has beginning in time and space and has end in time and space and then transgresses into eternity. And so our Christian life is built upon the gospel of Jesus Christ to believe. God has given us the faith and in that faith the assurance to believe that at that beginning that there would be an end. And this is why we say within the cross, at the cross of Jesus Christ, that's his death, burial, and resurrection, his appearing, his ascension into heaven, and his sitting at the right hand of the Father, the end is still coming. But sometimes we need to look at the end and go back to the beginning to draw the right conclusion. 
And so look at, let's look at these few verses here in Revelation chapter 1, verses 9 through 19. Revelation chapter 1, verses 9 through 19. John the writer, he says, I, John, your brother and fellow partaker in tribulation, in kingdom and in perseverance which are in Jesus, was on the island called Patmos because of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. And I was in the spirit on the Lord's day, and I heard behind me a loud voice like the sound of a trumpet saying, John, write in a book what you see and send it to the seven churches to Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. And I turned to see the voice that was speaking with me. And having turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. And in the middle of the lampstands, one like the son of a man, clothed in a robe, reaching to his feet and girded across his breast with a golden breastplate. And his head and his hair were white like wool, like snow, and his eyes were like a flame of fire. And his feet were like burnished bronze when it has been heated to the maximum. And his voice was like the sound of many, many, many waters, powerful. And in his right hand he held seven stars, and out of his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword. And his face was like the sun, shining in its strength. And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as a dead man. And he laid his right hand upon me, saying, do not be afraid. I am the first and the last and the living one. And I was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore. And I have the keys of death and of Hades. Write, therefore, the things which you have seen, the things which are, and the things which shall take place. The things which you have seen, the things which are, and the things which shall take place. The things which shall take place give us the understanding that many things have already occurred. And within the scriptures for us to understand this, it goes from Genesis to Revelation. So let's go back to Genesis for just a short course before we go back to Revelation to look at the width and the depth and the breadth of Holy Scripture and its teachings to us this morning. And we know in Genesis chapter 3 and chapter 1, 2, and 3, we have the making of the earth, the creation of the earth, the creation of the animals and the plants and the creation of man and woman. And we see that God said, it is good. It is very, very, very good. And he blessed it. And the days were complete, and then he rested. And so when we go to the second chapter of this, we see that there is an edict given to man and woman. There is a covenant made with man and woman, and it is a work covenant. God is going to do all this in his creation, and he is going to let all mankind to be a part of it, and mankind has one stipulation in there. And there's three trees named within the garden, the Garden of Eden, paradise. There's the tree that is good for food, which they were allowed to take any time they wanted to, sustenance for themselves. 
There was the tree of the good, uh, of the knowledge of good and evil, which was forbidden. And then there was the tree of life that we don't speak of much. Because what happened is they disobeyed God and took of the tree of the knowledge of good and even evil. And with that, mankind fell. And with that, sin became invasive to all generations. Adam and Eve being our foreparents, and all born subsequently since them come out of them. So we know creation, the animal kingdom, man, marriage, and the fall. And with the fall came a curse, curse to Satan and judged. Curse to the woman, curse to the man, and a curse to the earth. And when we see that, we understand a holy God cannot turn his back on sin, on this violation of God's holiness by these two people. And so in the curse, God has allowed for these elements to continue to exist, but now with many, many, many changes within and therein. So we see that the woman has pain in childbirth, but greater than that is the understanding that God has sustained all life through the woman and has called her the mother of all living. So in the curse and in the pain is also the blessing. And to the man, he cursed the earth and the man shall work and toil, but the earth shall work against him. And yet he shall prevail and feed his family and exist until the days that are assigned for him. And the world itself is cursed. And we see that in chapter 3. So when we take all this into consideration, we come now to chapter, excuse me, to verse 20 of chapter 3. To verse 20 of chapter 3. This is the beginning, and this is what has happened. This is what has taken place. Mankind has fallen out of position and condition and in place with God. Now, here is the outcome of it. Genesis chapter 3, verse 20. Now the man called his wife and named her Eve because she was the mother of all the living. Subsequent generations would be formed out of her, all the way to Christ, to the lineage of Christ, and then on until he returns again. That is her designation. That is her blessing. The pain that goes with it is also a part of God's judgment within it. And the Lord God made garments of skins for Adam and his wife and clothed them. And here again, God allowed the man to name all the animals, to partake of all the animals of the flora and the fauna that he created on this earth for sustenance. And when the fall came, he did not change that. He altered it. From the fact that there was no thorns and thistles and there was fruit and there was animals to partake of at ease. Now, for mankind, it is a battle. But God in his goodness 
sows the evidence of his loving kindness by taking that which he created and clothing their nakedness. Why? Because guilt and shame had come upon them in the fall. They were naked and they fled and they hid from God. God in his benevolence, even in their position in their fallen state, clothes them. And then we go to verse 22. Then the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become similar to us, knowing good and evil. And now lest he stretch out his hand and take also from the tree of life and eat and live forever. Therefore, the Lord God sent him out from the garden of Eden to cultivate the ground from which he was taken. So God drove the man out to the east of Eden, and he stationed there the cherubim and the flaming sword which turned every direction to guard the way or the entrance to the tree of life. Mankind is now lost, utterly helpless and hopeless to regain any position that God had allowed him to have in, this pre, in the previous state. But interesting here, we first see the glimpses of God's comprehension of what man is now and gives us in that light here in these scriptures. Now he knows good and evil. And lest man sneak back into the garden, and stretch his hand out and take from the tree of life and live forevermore. That's God's opinion of mankind at this point. Treacherous, sinful, devious. And so God in his benevolence stops that from happening so that mankind cannot throw Adam and Eve back into a state of eternal and spiritual decomposition forever and ever without any hope. So therefore, verse 23, the Lord God sent the man out. He drove him out. He got him out of there. Not easily, but he did it fully and effectively. He drove the man out. To the east and to the east of the Garden of Eden, he, stare, he stationed the cherubim and the flaming sword, which changed, turned and changed every direction to guard the way to the tree of life. To guard the way to the tree of life. And so now we know this is the starting of Scripture. Chapters 1, 2, and 3. And contained within Scripture, there is much, much more. But it takes us from here to man being without hope that the whole story could end. But God, in his redemptive plan, in his grace and his mercy, continues it on. And so we go through all of the Old Testament and we see fully, fully where we are now, where mankind is, and what is happening and God is developing for us 
a plan of redemption that doesn't unfold until later on in the person of Jesus Christ. And speaking to a church this morning and speaking to a Christian church, we know that ultimately that here, Jesus Christ at the cross was the answer for us. But at this point in time at Genesis chapter 3, if those words stopped there, there would be nothing. Mankind lost forever. Thanks be to God. We have the Old Testament, which is getting us the basic foundation to the redemptive work of God and to his eternal plan for mankind and how this position in this place would be restored, not by man himself, but by God's love and mercy. So when we look at those chapters, we see man's utter loss. He did not lose his humanity. The woman still retains her gender. The man still retains his gender. But we lost the ability to reflect the glory of God and the holiness of God that was previously set in place with Adam and Eve. That was gone. We can no longer be image bearers of God because sin has entered in and we have been judged for it and condemned for it, all of mankind, for God cannot let sin as a holy God go unjudged. So there's the need now, not only for restoration, but there's the need for a new life, for a different life, and for a promise of a paradise regained. Hence enters all of the beauty of scripture and takes us right to Jesus Christ as the only means and the only way to salvation, to being delivered from our perishing. And if you look at 2 Timothy, if you would like to turn there, I'd appreciate it. If not, I will read it for us. 2 Timothy chapter 1, to give us an understanding of this newness and the purpose of it and the, the calling and the reason. In 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 6, and Paul is explaining to Timothy about him becoming in charge of the church of Ephesus, and he says, For this reason I remind you to rekindle afresh the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of hands, that's praying and sending out, for God has not given us a spirit of fear, but a spirit of power and love and discipline. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord Jesus Christ, or of me, his prisoner, Paul, but join me in suffering for the gospel according to the power of God, who has saved us and called us with the holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which he granted us in Christ Jesus from all eternity, but now has been revealed by the appearing of our Savior Christ Jesus, who abolished death and brought life and immortality through the light of Jesus in the gospel. That's a summation of going all the way from Genesis to the cross. The newness of life 
granted in Christ Jesus by God Almighty from eternity past. Man lost, helpless, now saved through this work and restored and redeemed. So that gives us a great look, just briefly, of the glory of the gospel. Lost, redeemed, and knowing that he shall come again, it gives us an, a question that we need to ask ourselves. Not only do we understand the good news of the gospel, of where we were, where Christ has put us now, and where we shall be, but it asks us this question also. What about paradise lost? If we were lost, Christ has saved us, and we live this life, and he returns, what then? What then? So we also can look at an Old Testament teaching here that tells us about the same thing that the New Testament writer Hebrews said. Our journey here on this earth is limited in time. We have assigned days to us. But the Hebrew writer said, his people said, we're not looking for this city. This is just our passing through home. Speaking of Jerusalem, exactly at that period of time in the first century. But he said, we are looking for our final home, a new homeland, a new country where only righteousness dwells. That's the point when Christ returns to where we go to. That was even promised in Isaiah 65. In those words in Isaiah 65, I will read to you. For behold, Lord, I, the Lord God creates a new heaven and a new earth, and the former earth shall not be remembered, or the former things will be called and come to mind. But be glad and rejoice, for I recreate. For behold, I create Jerusalem new for rejoicing, and her people for glad tidings. And I also will rejoice in Jerusalem and be glad in my people. And there there will be no longer heard in her the voice of weeping and the voice of crying. Promised in the Old Testament that there would be a place and that there is a place. And when we get to that writer of Hebrews, they said, this is not our home. We're looking for that home where only righteousness dwells. So let's go to Revelation chapter 19. Revelation chapter 19. If there's going to be a new home, if there's going to be a new city, if there's going to be a new kingdom, then it needs a king. So let's look at this. Revelation 19, verse 6. And I, John, heard, as it were, the voice of a great multitude. And there's a sound of many waters, and there's a sound of mighty claps of thunder. 
saying, Hallelujah, for the Lord our God the Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and be glad and give the glory to him for the marriage of the Lamb has come and has made, and his bride has made herself ready. And it was given to her to clothe herself in fine linen and bright and clean for the linen is the righteous acts of the saints. And he said to me, Right, blessed are those who are invited to this marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, These are the true words of God. And I fell at his feet to worship. And he said to me, Do not do that. I am a fellow servant of yours and your brethren who hold to the testimony of Jesus. Worship God, for the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of truth and prophecy. And then I saw the heaven open, and behold, a white horse. And he who sat upon it is called Faithful and True. And in righteousness he judges and wages war. And his eyes are a flame of fire. And upon his head are many diadems. And he has a name written upon him, who no one knows except himself. And he is clothed with a robe dipped in blood. And his name is called the Word of God. And the armies which were in the heaven clothed in fine linen, white and clean, were following him on white horses. And from his mouth came a sharp sword, so that with it he might smite the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron. And he treads the winepress of the fierce wrath of God's judgment, the Almighty. And on his robe and on his thigh he has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. This is what John was envisioning with the angel taking him up into the heavens and seeing all the cataclysmic, apocalyptic things that were yet to happen and to occur that were going to come to an end with the advent of this 19th chapter of Revelation of Jesus Christ returning. Mankind lost, redeemed at the cross, restored when he returns for those who are in Christ Jesus to the new Jerusalem, to the new heavens, and to the new earth, the city of the king. So let's go over to chapter 21. Let's see this place. Let's understand this place. Let's see what the words of God tell us about the glory and the beauty of the place, which hopefully will make us understand why God considers this sanctuary to be the precursor before the new temple comes in the new city. And this is because of his son, Jesus Christ, who came to do the will of his father, to give his life a ransom for many. And this is why God calls us that we see to it that we're here to remember this, to understand it, and to give him homage in it. Revelation 21, verse 1. And I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven 
and the first earth passed away, and there is no longer any sea. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, made ready and adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is among them. The tabernacle of God is among them and among men. And he shall dwell among them, and they shall be his people, and God himself shall be among them. And he shall wipe away every tear from their eyes. There should be no longer any death. There should be no longer any mourning or crying or pain. These first things have passed away. And he who sits on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. And to John write, for these words are faithful and true. And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha, the beginning and the end, the Omega. And I will give to the one who thirsts from the spring of water of life without cost. He who overcomes shall inherit these things, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. But for the cowardly and the unbelieving and the abominable and the murderers and the immoral persons and sorcerers and idolaters and liars, their part will be in the lake of fire and brimstone, which is the second death. And then one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls full of the seven plagues came and spoke with me saying, Come here, I will show you the bride, the wife of the lamb. And he carried me away into the city, carried me away in the spirit to a great and high mountain. And he showed me the holy city, Jerusalem having the fullness of the glory of God in it. That's the end. Genesis, through all the scriptures, throughout, comes to this point in time. There is a new paradise. Peter wrote that he said, if our hope was not a living hope, it would be worthless because you see hope without a destination is but an endless journey the city of God this is the destination God has set forth for us because of his son Jesus Christ this is why God expects and commands and directs us to bring homage to his name in heart and deed, in all manners of our life, but most assuredly here, because the temple of worship is the body and blood of Jesus Christ that purchased us, saved us, redeemed us, and now, when he returns, restore us. And he explains in here, multiple verses about this city being 1,500 miles long, 1,500 miles high, 1,500 miles wide, apocalyptic literature, height, width, and depth, something we can understand in our limited human state must be unbelievable. With 12 gates, with a single pearl, 
on these gates that stand that high. And all of the beautiful elements that God has created in this earth, the pearls, the gold, the diamonds and all this, are interlaced in explaining to us what the city looks like. All of the beauty that we could even imagine in our earthly state. And it goes beyond that into the magnification of what a place. And then in verse 22 of 21, he said, I saw no temple in this city, for the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb are its temple. That's the final temple. The temple was given at Calvary. The veil of the sanctuary was torn in two. Access to God now through his son Jesus Christ because he has forgiven us of our sins. Therefore, we have partaken of his righteousness. And the city has no need of the sun or the moon to shine upon it for the glory of the Lord and the Lamb is its eternal lamp. And the nations shall walk by its light, and the peoples and the kings of the earth shall have glory in it, and in the daytime, for there shall be no night there. There will never be night there. There will nothing be but honor and glory from the peoples to him. Verse 27, And nothing unclean, and no one who practices abomination and lying shall ever come into it, but only those whose names were written in the Lamb's book of life. Chapter 22, verse 1, And he showed me the river of the water of life, clear as crystal, coming from the throne of God and of the Lamb of God. And in the middle of its streets and on either side of the river was the tree of life. Genesis 3. No hope. No entry. Guarded. Grace and truth revealed in Jesus Christ. The tree of life will be in its middle. Bearing 12 kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit every month, and the leaves of the trees were for the healing of the people, and there shall be no longer any sin, and the throne of God and the Lamb shall be in it, and his bondservants shall serve him, and they shall see his face, and his name shall be on their foreheads, meaning in their minds throughout their whole being, and there shall be no longer any night and day. They shall have no need of the light of the lamp or the light of the sun, because the Lord God is there, and he shall illumine them, and they shall reign forever and ever. Are you looking for the end? where righteousness dwells. Don't be consumed with what is happening here and now. Our God has overcome all this. And he is there, will be there in that celestial city with us. And to just understand and comprehend when those words say, and we shall be there, and we shall reign with him. And we shall see him face to face. And there shall no longer be any sin and no longer any sorrow forever and ever and ever.
What a day that will be. What a glorious day. Let me pray for us. I can only serve you this morning, Lord, by repeating the words of Paul in his doxology in Timothy. Now unto the King eternal, immortal, invisible, the only true God, be honor and glory, dominion and authority, both now and forevermore. Amen.